Live from the Swamp of Sadness, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Well, hi, Tim. Yeah. Hi, Nick. Why did we have to be here? I don't know. Why Why did the podcast bring us here? <coughs> be strong. Be strong. I'm trying. I, at least there's not a, a large animal here like any longer. <laughs> oh, my. This is... Uh... All right, Tim. How about we just... Oh, man. Move. This is going to be a tough one, This is going to be... We, let's just move forward. Keep, our, keep ourselves distracted. Uh, not think about anything sad. So this Okay. Let's sad. <clears throat> we'll do story school. Story school. All right, Tim. Hopefully, the podcast can give us a little uh, barrier from the the effects of this uh, area, the swamp. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. sticky here. Yeah. <clears throat> we'll just like, I'm, but I'm okay with the stickiness. Is just it's not the sadness. Yeah. So, um, but I think we're required in this story school because of the location to talk about sorrow. Okay. Well, I think we did decide talk about this being a good topic for February. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, interesting this year, it is a particularly good topic because Valentine's Day is actually the same as Ash Wednesday. Yes, I noticed that. So, it was just yesterday, yeah. So, so. it's it's love and death. So. <laughs> Perfect uh, topic then, yeah. sorrow and stories. So, okay, so way back when we talked about tragedy. I think that was episode 18. Wow, that is a long time ago now. Let me double check. Yes, episode 18, Epic Fail Like the Greats. <laughs> Good title. Um, <laughs> I think that was yours. <laughs> they're all mine, whether they're good or bad. <laughs> Most um, of them, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyways, I did not re-listen to that one, but I know we talked a lot about sad endings. Yes. Re-listened to it recently just to try to make sure that we had enough material to still talk about sorrow as a storytelling element. Yeah, I think so, because we mainly talked about tragedy as an ending, about where when a character just comes to an unfortunate end, sometimes from... Because of their faults. Sometimes in the, in the classical tragic, you know, hamartia and the fatal flaw and all that stuff. Sometimes in the nihilistic way of things just bad happen, yeah. and, which we said was not a good way to do a, Thank a you, sad Kamu. ending. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyways, Sorrow, I, I almost wanted to define it a little bit. Because obviously you can just have sad things happen in a book, you know. Oh, Bambi's mother died and stuff like that. And I, think that I think that would qualify. Mm-hmm. Um, but... My like more firm definition of sorrow would be something along the lines of the ache for something lost. Like a lot of times, it shows up in the death of somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it shows up in the the good old times. You know, almost a sense of like things are passing away. That there was a thing that was and now is no longer, and it just leaves a mark on a person, a world. That's an interesting thought. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering. And I'm no emotional expert or psychologist or anything, but is that you think that's the root of all sadness? Probably. I mean, in in many ways, I think sadness. Hmm. The sadness again, always deal with loss. That's fine. Well, I think it probably always deals with loss, but sometimes it's a loss of expectations. Of you know, I'm sad because I didn't get what I wanted, mm-hmm. as opposed to losing something I had. I see. Um, <laughs> welcome to derailed trains of psychology. Um, <laughs> no, but I. I why I wanted to at least start with that as a as a definition, and we can move around from there, mm-hmm. is because my primary ideas of sorrow in this sort of more more thematic sense comes from things like Lord of the Rings, Fantasties, mm-hmm. things where it's it's this, like this deep nostalgia in some ways, or ache for things are broken in, in Christian sense. I mean, sorrow mm-hmm. in Christian sense is like there was perfection, now there's not, and you still have this like. And now we're li- living, and I've always found that very, the, one of the more fascinating parts of things like Lord of the Rings, where it's a happy ending, mostly, but there's, there's, this, there's this element of sadness that just underlines everything. You know, all the, the elves are passing away. It's a new age. Everything, everything's changing. Mm-hmm. Babylon 5 taps into that. We can talk too much about this because of uh, our current weekly hijack. That's, that is true. We touched on some of these ideas um, in our episode on beauty, mm-hmm. um, episode 48, Glimpses of Light. As you can tell, I did my homework this Good week. job. <laughs> we talked on a lot of things about beauty in that one, and that one we, we touched on some of this, about the idea of 
a loss, something that we once had, and which I think, and I said in that episode, goes back to Eden, basically, yeah. that we, we've, we've lost what this world was originally supposed to be. Okay, now we're already in deep philosophical territory without having any examples, but here's my question for you, Tim. Why is it sorrow and beauty are so closely intertwined? Yeah, I would argue that there are many beautiful movies because they're sad. Mm. I think that's true. It's um, it's as hard to say why exactly. I mean, I, I agree. I think it's definitely a thing. Um, let me put a little spin on it. I don't think something would be sad if there wasn't a beautiful ideal to behind compare it, it to. Okay. Yeah, to yeah, behind it or compare it to. And I wondered in my own thinking before we started this podcast whether now truth and beauty are not necessarily the same thing, right? But they rhyme. They rhyme. That's an interesting way to putting it. Uh, I, I stole it from something else that I can't remember. But um, and I think sorrow also, because I think you're right, there's something beautiful behind it, something true, something. But it also, I think it resonates with people in a true way. So even though it's sad, it's... It's something we can identify with. And and that ache awakens, like the beauty, I think we're talking on the beauty episode, awakens the sense of what things should be. In some ways, sor- it's interesting. Story with sorrow... If they're not, like, nihilistic sorrow, not like, and... The world is horrible. The world is horrible, and it's always going to be horrible, and it's just a sad place. Yeah. Often awaken, and even in some of those stories, awaken us a sense of hope. Not necessarily, like, not that the story ends happy, but, like, characters who are sad seem to simultaneously be motivated to do things. Mm. Mm-hmm. And to change things, and to work towards what isn't, you know, restoring fill-in-the-blank. Again, it depends on the situation involved in the story. I mean, yeah. Sometimes it may be, if it's just a loss of a loved one, you know, there's not much you can do to change that as opposed because you've lost something that's close to you. Well, then you, yeah, but you've, you've, okay, let's, let's do some, let's get some examples, examples underway. In. So we're, we're not just, very, <laughs> we're being a little okay, vague here. On a very, okay, we were talking before we recorded Super 8. Mm-hmm. If you guys seen it, it's a movie about very much in the 80s throwback sort of style. Yeah. But it starts off with the death of the main character's mother. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, when the alien's leaving, trying to get away, and there's this whole sort of, with the music and, this, and the necklace, this sort of like letting go and being this hopefulness about moving on past the sorrow of no longer having his mother. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just one example of the sort of like, again, the movie's not a, a sad movie. It's right. A, it's a ridiculous you know, like let's run around like kids and yeah, swear like sailor sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but, but it is something it, that kind of grounds the movie. It grounds the movie, and then yeah, and the and it ends in hope. It ends in the sense of moving on. You're not fixing it. You're not like, oh, and my mom came back from the dead. Thank you, Ed Ulrichs. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> I got dark quickly. <laughs> um, but that's one example. I'm sure you have some. Okay, so that's that's a good example of. Dealing with a sad situation and sort of moving on from it. I think there's also the sadness sometimes in like a self-sacrifice. Mm. Like it's sad because this person is doing this, but at the same time it's beautiful because... That's true. Um, you know, I was, actually I was thinking earlier this week about uh, there's a Michael Card song about The Last Supper. And one of the lines in it is actually, savor the sorrow, he's dying tomorrow. Which is, you know, it, it's something that makes sense when we think about the Last Supper and like Good Friday services. We remember, I mean, savor the sorrow. It, it, it's not just about remembering intellectually that Jesus died and, you know, went yeah. through a horrible, you know, crucifixion. But it's also kind of like, no, living in that moment, trying to recreate in your mind or sometimes through dramas or something, what that actually was, what it would have been like for disciples to been there and what it meant and mm-hmm. this sort of situation of we're going to lose our, our master and the disciples don't really even know why. Jesus knows what's why and he knows he's in for a world of pain, Yeah, but it has to be done. Yeah, And there's that. Is it's it's a very beautiful sort of again that self sacrifice yeah. that it's, this is going to happen and that that gets um, riffed a lot in various shows and and books this idea of the the person who's sacrificing themselves and everyone's sad about it, but simultaneously is a beautiful thing because mm-hmm. and a lot of times in in you know at least more modern stuff it'll be the person was already broken some way and this is their way of redeeming some, themselves redeeming themselves yeah, yeah. you know again this happens in. Um, Person of interest, yeah, largely. Mm-hmm. The entire show 
Reese, John Reese, uh, is searching for some sort of redemption. I mean, he's the most obvious, but basically everyone. Yeah, basically everyone. But I mean, him especially, yeah. you definitely get get the sense that he was never going to be completely happy until he was a unless unless and until he was able to go out like a hero. Yeah, which eventually he did. Yeah, yeah, and they the ending of that show is about pitch perfect with all the characters. Yeah, being sad and awesome at the same time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we got a lot of these sorrows based in characters. You know, a character lost someone. A character is redeeming a bad past. A character has been separated from their life they used to have. You always have kind of the stereotypical, like, kind of lone ranger cowboy person who you have sad eyes, you know, and, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and they're all withdrawn, but, and they seem gruff, but they do great things for people because that sort of thing. But then you also have, and this probably shows up well, in two different ways, the whole kind of sorrow as the loss of a, world of an era of a you know you get some again i haven't watched a lot of downton abbey but you got that sense of certain things are passing away mm. lord of the rings things are passing away there's mm-hmm. other fancy books where like how things used to be and sometimes it's just trapping sometimes it's just right and then sometimes it's really central part um there was like a and again i might misremember it but you ever seen secondhand lines no i've it's heard a, all about that one a lot yeah but you know it's largely these two old guys and they're reliving their past and it's a very fun movie but you know you get some of these movies where about like people in old age dealing with everything that's gone or leaving yeah and i think there's there's something about that in the sense of sometimes you don't know something that you have until you lose it Um, whether that be a person or you know a time period or you know yeah old old world i definitely feel like in the lord of the Rings sense that definitely is more of a uh the world is not quite as magical as it used to be sort yeah. of thing, which I think we all sort of experience as we grow older mm-hmm. anyway. And, and it's like in a, in a microcosm, we get sort of some of that. We can uh, empathize with elves in a certain sense. I think they they yeah. grow weary of the world the longer they live. Yeah, We probably get that in a, in a you know a snippet as opposed to what the elves would, yeah. would experience. And Doctor Who would play with this? Not like the quintessential example of this would be um, the girl in the fireplace. Mm-hmm. Where the time passing and the missing of his promise, you know, she grows old and dies while, while still, still waiting. Uh-huh. Unrequited stuff. Yes. Unrequited love, unrequited Something promises. unfinished. Mm-hmm. You had this, again, you had this ideal that, you, that wasn't able to be experienced. And I guess, you know, from a writer's, creator's point of view, on one hand, sorrow adds drama. But on the other hand, like we've already mentioned, it also adds a level of anger, a level of or can add a level of beauty of truth that resonates with people in a different way than just like, and bad things happen. Right. I think, you know, bad things happening is, yeah, it resonates, but it just makes us feel ugly. Right. But sorrow done right could sometimes make you sad, but, you know, it's, it, happiness it, is a sad song, Charlie Brown. <laughs> or the other the other saying that's, I think you said that in a lot in in previous episodes. I did. And then the other one to go along with that is uh, sad is happy for deep people. Well, again, like um, Inside Out mm-hmm. is a perfect example of a movie basically exploring the fact that sadness makes is intertwined with happiness. I mean, that's the entire yeah, that's the entire point. Yeah, uh, that's the entire point. And it's one of those things that you see it and it makes sense, but. It's not something that is natural. We just think it's not we something want, we naturally think. We want happy and we don't want sad is what we think. Right. Which is which is true, but in this world, it's messier than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I think I heard that uh in the developments, I think that actually changed. I think joy was originally supposed to go with fear or someone someone else. And eventually the and, but they got stuck on something in the story development process and the director Went for a walk to think about it because I guess he's like you, and when he needs to work out a creative great, stuff, yeah. <laughs> and he started thinking about, oh man, if I don't get this right, I might lose my job here at Pixar, and that would make me really sad. And he was like all this kind of concern, and he started realizing, you know, because since he's thinking all about emotions anyway, he started leaning into that. He's like, well, you know, that that sadness is could be sort of a, a motivating sort of thing, and he and he wound up coming back to a pitch and he's like, no, 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 we we've been trying to kind of doing what joy in the movie would wind up doing, trying to push sadness in the corners. Like this should be a focus, focus thing. Cause this is not something you would naturally think of, No, but it's, it's the sort of out of the box thinking that Pixar just excels in. And that's what they pursue. And why it works is because people watching it are like, they feel it's true. Yeah. You know, and they, they know from real life that it's like, okay. Yeah, and I can feel this as a parent array sometimes. And I, I know my parents feel it more, but 
you go and watch old videos and your kids are young mm, uh-huh. and it makes you sad, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's because they were happy times. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting point. Um, and there's just that, there's a, a time especially has a lot of sorrow attached to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that there, you can do time realistically without some sorrow attached to it. Yeah. Because time is always moving forward for us and we never and, and really we lose things. We just do. Yeah. Especially, I mean, we lose, not only do we lose like moments that we used to have, people grow up, relationships change, you get old. And I, I looked it up before we came because I knew I wanted to quote it and I just remembered it. So Ecclesiastes from mm-hmm. the Bible says, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Hmm. Interesting. And I think the point is, and it says the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure, I think. Uh-huh. And is that this sort of awareness of time, this awareness of, of sorrow grounds you in the, in the true and meaningful things of life. Hmm. It kind of makes you wonder how that will be, how that might be different in eternity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes we, we say we're, we're aware of the strangeness of time passing because mortal time is not our, our home. We yeah. have an, we have a, a, eternal souls. Yeah. So that's one reason why we constantly are surprised by how fast time is going or how slow time is going. I got to throw Ecclesiastes in here again. Um, eternity is in the heart of man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, wonder what that would be. Is, is that why we, we feel sad? Because those times you can't go back to, you know, re-experience that stuff in quite the same way. Whereas in eternity, maybe we, we would. We would. And, and you have a certain... Maybe, yeah. I, I won't. I go too philosophical here. Yeah, that's we're, we're way back. We're way off of uh, storytelling at the moment. But. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It's it's something interesting to think about. But I think why? I mean, this is a fascinating topic from a philosophical point of view. But if stories, like we think they should, should re- should reflect both life and what life should be, I think not having sorrow as part of it is cutting a huge chunk out of the experiences of real life. Mm-hmm. And maybe I was thinking, you know, sometimes we harass. I have not seen much modern Christian movies and stuff. But I wonder if not dealing with sorrow properly is part of the reason they come off as cheesy. I think sometimes that may be, may be true. I mean, again, it's it's been a while since I've yeah, watched that. I don't want to so. make broad strokes without having more experience. But Yeah. Two thoughts I have about um, specifically on the role of sorrow in, in, in storytelling. One, similar to how sometimes we don't understand something until there's a hint of sorrow in it. I think sometimes the sorrow, especially at, say, a sad ending, mm-hmm. which we talked a lot about before, like we said in episode 18, but we'll touch on briefly here. Sometimes I feel like a sad ending can, again, bring out things that you may not have realized if it had just been a happy-go-lucky ending. Mm-hmm. And my example of this is just recently I showed um, the ending of Final Fantasy 15 to my sister, Danielle. Oh, yeah. And when she was was over she was like i don't like this this is terrible because it has this very very bitter bittersweet ending yeah. and i i think i had mentioned on here before that i wasn't sh- quite sure how i felt about it either but after this much time and then later she she texted me and said she was she had been listening to some of it and she's like you know i kind of have an appreciation more of appreciation for it now because it, it kind of made you realize how important the relationship between the four main characters i mean it's it's the greatest bromance I've ever played. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's, it really brings home, you know, how much they meant to each other and all this stuff. And the fact that you you lose some of the characters in the process, I don't know, it just makes it, adds a more meaningful, or at least it adds a veneer of meaningfulness. Maybe yeah. some people could argue it's... Maybe maybe that's the whole one of the points of sorrow in, in art, is to, to highlight the good. You know, it, it casts a relief. Yeah. But yeah, I think if you only had sorrow, we're not advocating that at all. I mean, then just... Right. We're not saying, like, it's sad because the world is horrible and we just... But I think done well artistically, what's beautiful about it is that it reminds us that not everything is sorrow. Yeah. Or should be. And I do think there is a way to pulp sorrow. To, oh, to, yeah. To make it pulpy, to overdramatize it. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And I mean, even good sorrow, you could sort of, like dwell in it to a ridiculous like i was thinking today about like Anne of Anne and green gables oh. and how she like gets super <laughs> over dramatic over these tragic scenes and like <laughs> when we and, and you people know, are constantly making fun of her for yeah. it <laughs> well and then you can you can and sorrow can also be used like everything else in just a very um surface level way like and this person's character we're just going to add oh he his dad died early yeah. you know or you know to create this gravitas to the character you know and that you know like any storytelling element, it can feel contrived yeah. if, if done a certain way. And there's mixed feelings even with 
Final Fantasy 15 about some of the, the losses, especially mid-game, that feel similar to another Final Fantasy. <laughs> um, but then you look in the other way, it's like, well, maybe there's a purpose. You look at it either way. But yeah, so sorrow can feel contrived. And don't get us wrong. Just because yeah. you have sorrow in a story doesn't mean you automatically qualify as deeper or more, more beautiful. And sometimes it just makes you sad and angry. Yes. Like, um, we just watched last night, my wife and I, um, second to last episode of season two of The Crown. Hmm. And it's about Prince Philip and Prince Charles. And they both go to the same school and kind of interweaves their times at the schools. And they both have horrible times there mm. um but one has a different a very different reaction from the other i wouldn't say much in case other people watch it but the one sorrow ended up being a good thing like it ended up building him up and whatever the other one was just it's just needless suffering mm. it's just like horrible life right you know and then you're just mad because the like why are you doing that to this person and first off in real life it's horrible but also even in stories sometimes like why are you doing this to this person what's the point of dragging them through all this stuff mm-hmm. is it just you know that that reminds me i was trying to remember there's like while you're talking it's like there was one other point i was going to get to and i finally remembered what it was because you just mentioned that i'll tell you the what made me remember it, then i'll circle yeah. back to the other point um so in the lady and the tramp um i don't know if you remember there's toward the, the climax of the movie to the side characters actually have to chase down the dog catchers thing that's got okay. tramp in it because yeah. the humans found out that you know was it his fault and they had had tramp sense of the pound or whatever and then the very end of it the wagon falls over and and hits the bloodhound trusty i think is his name i think the original version of that that dog was was supposed to die oh um said just being knocked out but walt disney did not like that at all he because here's this this hero character or this character who really a side character didn't have that much importance in the story then all of a sudden he does this really heroic thing kind of you know, everyone had thought he lost his sense of smell, but he winds up actually tracking down the the dog and saving them. Yeah, but then you're just gonna kill him off. That's 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 terrible. Yeah, and so that's why the dog lived. But but at the same time, Walt Disney obviously wasn't one to shy away from making audiences cry. Dumbo, <laughs> Dumbo, Bambi, Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> even even say Snow White. I mean, they yeah. they linger after she eats the apple. They you know they linger at her bedside for a while. And I think Disney very he was he was an emotional man himself from what I understand. I think he understood that it wasn't just about making audiences laugh the entire time. He wanted to make them feel yeah something. But you want them to feel on you want to feel sad about something important and not just some random some minor character dying. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It wasn't just it was it's that's, purposeful. That's, it's it's dramatic and, yeah, yeah. and chosen on purpose. Let's not just kill this character at, at the end just because. Ooh, that'd be dramatic. It's like, yeah. no, no. Have have a reason for it. Sometimes you get that in some movie. You're like, you're just trying to be edgy now. You're just killing people to be good. Just <laughs> right. Like, look, everything's dangerous. People die. Ooh, yeah. Um, I think we've talked about that. <laughs> yeah, and other things. Yeah, but. At the same time, that having that depth of emotion, like you were saying earlier, you know, if you didn't have, if none of your stories had this dimension in it, you would be losing something. Yeah. Um, and so, even if it's not, I think that's why, even if it's not a tragedy or the main point of this story is to be sad. Sometimes, even in in stories that have lots of ups and downs, yeah. moments of sadness can be a pretty powerful tool. Did I get off off topic? No, I think no, that's good. I'm. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out if there's anything to add that hasn't been said. All right. So um, that was a, a decently um, sad excuse for a story <laughs> school. No. <laughs> no, but anyways, I, uh, so hopefully it gives you something to think about, both when you read and experience things that are not as happy-go-lucky you wish they would be, mm-hmm. and also random example I just thought of. You know, cause sometimes you even have crazy movies like uh, Lego Movie. Oh. But they'll root it in this sort of... There's a bit of a, a it's not super sad, but, no, there, but, but it, there's sort of a, like this a, disconnect between the father and the there, son. And sometimes I think like, again, you can go full scale, like this is a major theme. Mm-hmm. And then also just that, that, that kind of light touch of, of brokenness, hmm. of things lost can do a lot for grounding a story that needs a little bit of something. Yeah. It's not like... You it's not full scale sorrow, right? Right. But, but it's, it's like it's like you're using a like a ten percent version of the sorrow pen. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. What that I know. No, that was horrible. But it, no, I know what you mean. It's like the um, 
sorrow light. <laughs> the I maybe you could say the, the shadows that kind of give something def- more definition. Yeah, I like that. that that's, that's yeah, that's better than like you know peanut butter and jelly sandwich illustrations. Or whatever. <laughs> that's that, that's from some of, that's from my lighting class <laughs> back back in the day. <laughs> nice. Anyways, so that, that those are our thoughts on um, sorrow, and hopefully, as a writer, also you can take it and say like. How can you use this emotion that in real life we try to avoid to highlight the story and the characters and deepen them and not just life is horrible, let's beat people up? Yeah. Or, or is, is your sorrow genuine or is it something contrived? You yeah. can usually, and sometimes you may, you may need a second pair of eyes to see, yeah. like, does, does this connect with does, you? Does this, does this feel? Yes. How does this feel? What's my motivation? Because <laughs> so. As much as real life stuff shouldn't all be run strictly on emotions, I guess we've talked about this on the podcast before. <laughs> it it is important in the uh, in the story front. All right, uh, so that's our story school for today. And in order to keep from thinking about the swamp we're in, let's keep moving on to soundtrack. So, uh, I'll have the first soundtrack today. My daughter, my two-year-old daughter, loves when I play the, the one of the main themes from The Wind Also Rises, a movie by Miyazaki. It actually has that kind of underlying sorrow because he's trying to build something beautiful and it's only used for, for war. I mean, there's some other subplots about, like, his wife is, they have deep love, but it's a very short-lived thing. And Anyways. So, and the music's beautiful. So this is called A Journey. It's actually a cover done by Classical Cat, correct? With X's on either side of her name. Uh, yes, Classical Cat. X, Classical Cat X, maybe. I don't know why how you say that exactly. I'm not sure. By the way, I think the, the movie's just The Wind Rises. What did I... You said The Wind Also Rises. Oh, you're right. Okay. Unless yeah, the, that's the Japanese version. But... I don't know. I might just be misremembering. So The Wind Rises. Um, and this is called, the song's called The Journey. Um, this is a cover by X, Classical Cat X. Enjoy.
All right, welcome back, Tim. Yeah, that was that was very nice. I enjoyed the melodica. What is it called? The melody. The oh, the the instrument that yeah. she was playing. Yeah, but yeah, which I did not know it was a thing. I've I've heard that instrument in a lot of Joe Hiyashi music, but uh, apparently it, it's like a little hand piano with a you blow into it. Piece. It's yeah. like a, a kind of a mini accordion sort of thing. Yeah, bizarre. I I kind of want to try it out now. Yeah, because like it makes a great sound. Yeah, it does. What is it called? Is it called the... Yeah, Melodica. Okay, making sure. Okay. So, All right. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it was a super sad song, but I understand the, the movie The has, context. Yeah, the context has got some... It's one of those songs that can take a lot of different emotions depending where you're attaching to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyways, let's go on to a bit of story. In case you folks didn't know, Nick has been very prolific on his uh, site lately with uh, putting out flash fictions. I guess I should mention that. We're not technically doing a project update no, today, but, but um, I am currently in my plans for the year to write a flash fiction a week. It comes out Friday. And then if you want to follow my Twitter, what, at Nick underscore Hayden, I also do a lot of flashback ones because I have like a hundred of them. And I've, I've missed a lot of them, honestly, because you know, it's very easy to sometimes you just don't. You just can't look at it right away, yeah. and then I'll. I'll and and I don't advertise them very well. I mean, I'm not particularly. I write a lot, but I don't tell people a lot about it. <laughs> um, and if you are super into, like you just love my stuff, I technically have a Patreon now. Ooh, so, I know. I'm not really expecting anyone, but hey, if you really like my flash fictions and you want to like have some input on new ones, you can go to figure that out. But um, <laughs> go figure it out. I'm not gonna tell you where it no, is. No, okay. Well, you look for Nick Hayden on Patreon, but also there's a link at the end of all, all my flash fictions. So there you go. On worksofnick.com. So what? Anyways, what, what do you have for us today, Nick? This this flash fiction is titled "The Sorrow." That seems very appropriate. Yes, and we'll have um my wife read it today. Oh, so I hope you enjoy. The sorrow. Once a year, they brought the sorrow from her hermitage in the hills so that she could speak to them and remind them of the world that had once been, to speak from the affliction that science had cured. They gathered in the stadium by the tens of thousands, talking and eating hot dogs until, small and lonely, she walked across the field to a stage placed in the center. A chair sat on the stage, which she sometimes used. The people grew quiet and waited for her to climb the steps. Some years, she sat and stared at them, saying nothing, sullen and strange, with eyes unlike any they now possessed. One year, early on, the sorrow had wept with full-bodied convulsions. She had just been informed of the death of her mother upon her return to civilization. The footage of this occasion was shown in high school science classes and parodied in commercials. Most years, she spoke a little of what she felt. The crowd listened as they might to the reading of an old and important document. The sorrow was old now. Her hair had once been blonde. Her face, magnified on the jumbotron, was wrinkled. It was her eyes the people studied. They fascinated, entranced, confused. They were windows into an alien landscape, a glimpse of something enormous and captivating and almost repulsive. Today she gained the stage and did not sit. She looked at the rows of murmuring spectators and turned slowly to take them all in. Water hovered over her pupils. It slid down the creased cheeks. This was new. It was not a convulsion, not an angry explosion, as it had been in many of her appearances, but silent streams flowing from the orbs. The people waited for her to speak, enthralled by her expression. She looked up at her own face on the screen and turned away. She found the chair and sat, head bowed. Long minutes passed before she looked up and began to speak. I had planned what I was going to say to you, but I did not expect. She shuddered and breathed deeply. I do not know if you can understand what I want to say. You have removed sorrow. You have eliminated the sense of loss. But you have become what you took away. I look at you and see the whole. That is why I weep. You are missing. You are pretend people. I envied you. For years I hated you. I was afflicted, and you were at peace. I wept, and you laughed. I suffered the night, and you played in the sun. In earlier years, this might have been spoken with bitter rage. 
Now she spoke softly, with that strange timbre that denoted an emotion they did not comprehend. Do you ever think of sickness or tragedy or death? Do you consider God? Can you consider him? My God wept. What can that mean? He suffered. It says that he must suffer, that that was his way to bring man to God, the plan set in motion since before the beginning of the world. Can you understand such talk? Tears brought God to me. They brought me to God. But you? What are you? Can you have anything to do with him? How can you possibly taste him? Will there be a new heaven and earth for you when you have no tears to wipe away? I fear you are lost. I fear you are without hope. And it hurts. I wish you knew how it hurts. She began to cry again, softly but deeply, and she did not speak again, but wept for a long time, her face in her hands. The next day, everyone said it was the best sorrowing they had ever seen. It was pretty appropriate, I think, for this. Yes. When I read it earlier today, I was like, it almost felt like you had wrote it for this episode. Yeah, I read it like last, wrote it like last October, but obviously some of these thoughts have been in my head for a while. Apparently so. Um, there's a, a longer story I want to write called The Pain Machine, which is, uh, this was some ways like a condensed version of some of my thoughts that are going to go into oh. it. I feel like you ought to look that up to see if that phrase has been used What, elsewhere. The Pain Machine? Yeah. Oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But. Anyways. Okay, we got some other sections we want to do this episode. Listener feedback. Feels like it's been a long time since we've done a listener feedback. Yeah, and there's two problems with that. One, we don't check our feedback often enough. And two, guys, leave us some feedback. <laughs> yeah, make us in the habit of checking it more often. <laughs> But honestly, I do I do also feel like we should apologize. It took us a while to address this one. Yeah. I did not even notice it until like because we're again out of the habit. It took me a while to notice that's on our website, dearoldtrainswiththought.blogspot.com. For episode eighty-two, the clothes make the character, Greg left us a nice comment. That was of course the episode where we in our what if section we did a random word generator. Of course. <laughs> when put two words together and talked about how that, that would um, appear, how, yeah. how, what sort of character that might look like. It was a lot like. of fun. It was, yeah. it was a lot of fun. So, and we challenged you guys to do it for yourself. And of course, Greg, faithful listener, did that. And so uh, let, me, let me just read for you what he said here. The words he ended up with were sensitivity and dictatorship, <laughs> which made <laughs> nice. him laugh too. And so he said, my idea for a character is this. I envision a Twilight Zone type world where there's a regime led by a social justice warrior type who rules with an iron fist. His kingdom on the outside seems perfect, where the poor, needy, and downtrodden are cared for by the populace, but not out of the goodness of their heart. Robot sentries are everywhere, and if they see an able-bodied person walk by someone in need and not help, they spring into action. The person loses their status, home, and savings and is left in the same condition as the beggar they walked by. Everywhere there are video screens of the dictators spouting compassionate ideals and virtues, but the tone comes off as threatening than it does out of love. Hey, I we need a story like that. Yeah, that's, that'd be that'd be a good story. No, a I, good world to put a story in. It is a good world to put a story in. I, I I feel like he sort of lost the the costume appearance aspect of the challenge, but it's a great it's a great way of using those two words, sensitivity and dictatorship. Yeah, it is. And it's it feels like a sci-fi story that would actually. So, Tim, happen. what would a sense of dictator look like? A sensitive dictator? Um, well, I'm guessing he'd be in a black turtleneck. He'd have a beard, and he'd be holding an iPhone. Oh, wait. I'm, <laughs> I thought you were going that way. <laughs> All right, then. Clothes make the man. Here we go. No, actually, the turtleneck, I can't. I could see. I could yeah. see that do, doing something like that. Um, either that, or he, maybe he'd be have some crazy hairdo. He'd speak with a feminine voice and kind of have nails. I don't know. There's some very, very, very spotless look, probably kind of a uniform. But the uniform yeah. wouldn't be as like military as we get some dictators. It'd be more uh, yeah, probably warm more colors, maybe warm color. I can I can see that. 
but not 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 anything overly ornate. I don't think. No, pretty pretty simple. Pretty yeah, pretty simple. You know, because it's you know the whole minimalism sort of mm-hmm. sort of feel. Yeah, that's kind of direct direction I'm. And seeing. maybe maybe a whip, but with like like soft stuff at the end of it. <laughs> Okay. Or, like a ner- or a Nerf gun? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. No, I just maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe like a a, a riding crop with a heart at the end. There we go. <laughs> I'm beating you out of love. <laughs> I'm going to some weird territory here. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, that's is that our listener feedback? <laughs> that's I'm looking at his uh, rest of he he wrote a pretty long length, lengthy comment here. That was the main thing I thought was good to touch on. I'll just read some more of this. I never would have thought to do an episode on a character's apparel, but it proved to be a fun discussion. Uh, Two items to discuss on Luke's black appearance and Return of the Jedi. Not only does it help show how Luke has grown up since his first appearance, but also provides a bit of ambiguity for when he's tested by his father to join the dark side. That's true. Both are dressed in black for their final showdown, and it leaves the viewer unsure where Luke will go. Which that's, that's a good point. Yeah, that, that is a good point. So anyway, that, that's that's the book of it. Okay, nice. I I did get a. F- I talked to Nathan, our our f- other very rabid listener, mm-hmm. and he uh, asked me about whether I was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at the time after last episode's uh, <laughs> food analogies. Uh huh. So I, I'm sure you have been. I I, I had actually had just eaten one because he called me right after lunch. Oh, I see. So, <laughs> so that's our listener feedback, and now time for. Previously on. All right, Tim. So you had something you wish to revisit. Yes. From revisit. long ago. Yes, from long ago as of last episode. All right. <laughs> so last episode we talked complicated versus simple plots. Yes. And one thing I realized um, when we were talking about some of the benefits of complicated plots, one thing I guess I should say in terms of things that you might enjoy when you realize, okay, the story might be a little more convoluted than it needs to be. But sometimes we talked about how it's it could still be fun just in terms of getting to theorize and figure things out, sort mm-hmm. of you know like loss and that sort of thing. But the other thing I realized I forgot to mention the other thing that I think if you have a certain taste to enjoy this sort of story, like I sometimes do, is if you can tell that the creator just had a lot of ideas and just okay. threw it all out. Sometimes I just like the audacity that a creator will, will do. It's like, you know, I'm not sure how well this fits in, but I like the idea so much I'm going to try to shove it in anyway. That reminds me a little, Do you have an example of that? Well, Kingdom Hearts is one reason. Yeah. Because I, I think that's where a lot of the the weird intricacies Intricacies? Intricacies? Intricacies. Thank you. Man, My I speak English good. Um, <laughs> I think that's where a lot where the in- intricacies of Kingdom Hearts comes from, because the creator will get some weird ideas, and it shouldn't work in a game that's just about combining Disney and Final Fantasy characters, and some people would say it doesn't, but just the fact that it's like, yeah, I'm going to include time travel and these yeah. idea- weird ideas of non-existence and emotions taking physical form, like I'm going to put all these things in this one universe, and I don't know. I think it's kind of cool. Well, I guess, you know, that's something I always enjoyed a lot about a lot of Moffat scripts of Doctor Who. It's like, if one of these ideas would make a good episode, we'll throw five in. Yeah. You know? It's it's the creative energy as opposed to just taking it easy and doing things a simple way. Because there is, there. I mean, there is a certain artisticness to honing and whatever, but it's also just not exciting to just be like, when everything in the kitchen sink. Yeah. <laughs> Which reminds me, like, the idiot... The by Dostoevsky. Mm-hmm. Um, um, who is it? I think Henry James called it a big baggy monster. Okay. Like it was just too much stuff. But but if you have the right mindset, like you said, you want all this stuff. You want the chaos. Mm-hmm. You want the the. You don't mind just spending time with all the ins and outs without being. There's a certain beauty with a focus, but there's a certain beauty in the. In the disaster, yeah, in the in the accumulation of of lots of little intricacies and things, yeah. I mean, I think this is one reason why some of the backgrounds in Miyazaki movies are so fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. On the one hand, like in say Howl's Moving Castle, the fact that Howl has all these ridiculous trinkets and toys and things and doodads in his bedroom kind of shows him he's a little childish. Yeah. Or say in Yubaba's bathhouse, all the intricacies of the walls and yeah. stuff. But at the same time, you can't deny it. It's really fascinating to look at. It is. Be, yeah, because the complicatedness shows a sense of vitality, mm-hmm. of just an overabundance. It's like, it's like a forced overgrown. Yeah. You know? uh-huh. And meanwhile, you could also have, you know, a bonsai tree that's 
you know, that simplicity, you know, it's it's exact and everything. And there's there's wonder in both of them. Yeah, in, in different ways. In diff- completely different ways, yeah. Yeah. So that's just an interesting footnote. Another little, like, reason why complicated stories can be interesting if done in a certain way. Like, yeah. Again, I like the Moffat explanation because he does like to do all kinds of... Uh, yeah, it's like one episode, like, uh, you know, one thing, like, that would be a good thing. And we're going to throw these 10 other ideas in. Like, and sometimes they're not even... They don't really do anything. Yeah. They're just there. <laughs> but, like, it's exciting from, you know, like... Because you never know what to expect. It was it, an interesting era of, I mean, Moffat's style, I think, grew a little thinner the, the yeah. longer his, his time went on. Yeah. But especially the beginning of his run, and, man, it was exciting. And every once in a while when he would focus, he could be really good focus, too. Yeah. Um, heaven sent. Yes. That, yes. He... <laughs> When he wants to make a machine, like a Rube Goldberg machine. He can make a Rube Goldberg machine. He can make a Rube Goldberg machine and make it a finely tuned one of exactly. that. All right. I think that's our episode. All right. Good. So, um, oh, man. Okay. We, I, can the, we just keep the episode going? Because I, I know, because I just realized we're going to have to go back in the swim. We're, we're, we're almost, we're almost to the giant hill. Maybe it'll be better up there. Okay. I hope so. But in the meantime, um, let people know that... Uh, they can like us on Facebook. If they want, I don't know. It's not even worth it. <laughs> they can subscribe to us on iTunes. I mean, listen to us if you're just a sad little thing. Leave us a review, you know, if anyone is One actually star. interested in us. Yeah, yeah who knows? DearOldTrainTheThought.blogspot.com It's beautiful. It's a very black sort of site. Yeah, yeah it is. Deep abyss. But before we go... Wait, pull myself together here a little bit. I want to introduce my soundtrack, and uh, I want to I want to do that <clears throat> like a man. Like, <clears throat> I'll, I'll try to. So I for a soundtrack I picked. I love that OC Remix has tags now for their songs. It makes it a lot easier to find, and so there's a lot of sad songs you can find if you you t- look for the tag sad. Oh yeah, actually. Um, but I wound up picking one from a remix from Secret of Evermore. Uh, Which we've never actually heard here. I've never played it. Um, I mean, I never played the game. Yeah. And we haven't played any remixes. This one is called Somber Memory. It was done by Audio Fidelity with Flute by Ginny Faye Davis. One of the things I like about the song is that it kind of reminds me of uh, music from The Storyteller. Okay, yeah. Uh, Jim Henson's The Storyteller. Uh, kind of that bittersweet kind of flair uh, of some of the fairy tales where, again, the you know, because sometimes fairy tales have a, have a, that twinge of sadness or yeah. bitter, bitter sweetness of. Yeah, well, Storyteller had a lot of ones kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. So then that's that's what made this made me think of, and that's that definitely is a good thing in my book. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, we won't. You know, we, we we will be crying our eyes out and hopefully yeah. heading to toward better better pastures. Yes. Um, but thanks for listening. <laughs> I, I I appreciate it. I, I, I really do. And the next time, this is Tim. This is Nick.
he's strong. I'm trying. I, at least there's not a, a large animal here. Like any longer. We <laughs> 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 got dark humor, everyone. I'm, I'm gonna cut that out. Please, my laugh. <laughs> oh man! All right. Oh my! This is. Uh... I suppose I could check the the email. I don't hardly ever do that. Check in the email. Check in the email. <laughs> sure, why not? I'll edit this out. We're editing this out while the horse drowns in the swamp. <laughs> <laughs> What in the world? <laughs> Live from the Blue Fairy. This is Drill Trade of Thought. <laughs> After how many years? I think I'll, I, I, I can anticipate what will come out of your mouth. Sometimes <laughs> I just don't. <laughs>